Thank you for listening to a message from the Bowden Church of Christ. For more information, visit www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. That's www.bowdenchurchofchrist.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Bowden Church of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing to you and helps you to serve God and find satisfaction in Him alone. And now, our speaker. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles with me and do me a favor, turn them to Matthew chapter 13. This morning we'll have the verses uh, on the screen. You're going to want to place a marker in Matthew 13. That's where we're going to get to in just a moment. Bailey, if you would, begin with Mark chapter 4 real quick. We're going to get to Matthew 13 here in just a moment. It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad that you're here and you've made the choice to be a part of our service today. I hope you're encouraged by the songs. I appreciate Wesley for the songs he's selected. He selected some songs that uh, we haven't sung in some time. And man, they were encouraging to read those words again. And I appreciate his diligent effort in picking those out. Uh, Of course, appreciate Brother Donnie and his prayer to begin us off. I, I really appreciate his thoughtfulness in that prayer. I've always been one to believe that you should never worship Uh, You should never rush worshiping God. That's not something we rush. We take our time, and I appreciate his thoughtful prayer and Asa's reading of the Scripture. i tell you what, there's been a lot of bad news that has gone on in the world the last few days. And learning that uh, Asa became a Christian yesterday was some good news in the midst of bad news. That reminds us that God is still working. And no matter what goes on in this world, God will always be in control. We're going to look at Matthew, uh, Mark chapter 4 real quick, and we're going to look at verses 33 and 34. But make sure you place your marker there in Matthew chapter 13, because we're going to be looking at that passage in just a moment. Did you know that most communication, they say, now if you ever figure out who they are, of course you could come and tell me. But they say that most communication you and I engage in is nonverbal. In fact, statistically, if you were to look at how those statistics, the percentages lay out, 55% of our communication is our body language. The way that we act when we speak, the way we use our hands and the way our eyes and our face look, 55% of our communication is body language. 38% of our communication is the modulation of our voice, the tones that we use, the pauses that we place in what we say. Now, you may not know that off the top of your head, but I'll give you an example, and you'll know just what I'm talking about. If you're in the house and you hear, sweetheart, or you could see your wife and she'd say, sweetheart. Or you may hear, sweetheart. Okay? Three words that are all the same, but said with different inflections and different modulation, it's received differently. 55% of our communication is body language, 38% is our voice, our pauses, and our tones, and only 7% of our communication consists of the actual words that we use. Communication is a really interesting thing, and we're going to talk about communication this morning in Matthew chapter 13, and we'll get there in just a moment. As Jesus communicated with people, the Bible tells us that Jesus communicated in a number of different ways. For instance, You'll remember in John chapter 8, Jesus, when brought 
before him a woman who was caught in adultery did not communicate with his words, but he bent down and he wrote in the sand, a form of communication. There's an instance in the Old Testament that we see come true in the New Testament in which Isaiah says that Jesus would be like a sheep led to the slaughter, that he would open not his mouth. And we know that many times in the crucifixion accounts, especially as he had crowns of thorns placed on him, as soldiers mocked and spit on him, he opened not his mouth. He said a lot without even saying a word. You know, sometimes you and I say a lot and we don't have to say a thing. We can say more by keeping our mouth shut than if we were to actually open our mouth. But the most common form of communication that Jesus used was what we call parables. And we read about them in the Bible. There's 38 parables. There's a lot of debate about that count on that number, but I counted up 38 total if you look at all the different ones in the Gospels. Jesus most often communicated in the form of a parable. Now, a parable is something that we'll look at for the next few weeks. Some of the parables of Jesus. But as we start today, I want us to consider the idea, what is a parable? Before we get into Matthew 13. What is a parable? Some people think of a parable as a fable or a proverb or some kind of short story with a good moral lesson. Sometimes when people think of parables, they think, oh, I've heard those. Haven't some of those been called Aesop's fables? And they'll connect parables to fables. You're probably most familiar with the fable of our world that talks about the tortoise and the hare. How they challenged in a race and the hare was so full of himself that he at full speed got down the racing track and decided to take a nap and the tortoise moseyed on by him and won. The moral of the story being that slow and steady wins the race, right? A fable. Aesop's fables are very popular because they present to us these principles by which you and I could live life. Ideas that we could take and chew on for years and years, and they could apply to a lot of situations. And so when some people think of parables, they think of fables or myths or some story with a good lesson. But I'm here to tell you this morning, parables are much more than the, the tortoise and the hare. Parables are much more than an earthly story that teaches us an earthly lesson. In fact, parables rise much higher than the pitch of morality of a fable. In fact, parables go above this earth, and they are earthly stories that communicate to us spiritual ideas. As we've taught our kids for years, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus taught most often in parables. You see that in Mark chapter 4, verse 33 and 34. With many such parables, he, that is Jesus, spoke the word to them. And they were able to hear it. But in verse 34, it tells us about those parables that he really just used parables to teach. He did not speak to them without a parable. But privately to his own disciples, he would explain to them everything. A parable. A parable in the original language is a combination of two words. The first being the word para, which means to put something beside or beside. Bale, which is the second word, means to throw or to cast. 
So a parable is beside something that is thrown or cast. In other words, a parable is to look at two things side by side. You cast a story down next to a spiritual truth and you lift them up and compare the two together. That's what a parable is. So to, to talk about a parable means that we have to throw two things side by side. Jesus would take a spiritual reality, put it with a story that is earthly, and he would cast those two beside each other so they could be compared. The really interesting thing about parables is that they're not difficult, they're not complicated, they're not deeply scholarly or theological, they are simple. They are stories that the people Jesus spoke to would know and things they would be familiar with. He would use illustrations that they would very readily recognize things they saw in their world at that time. Now, I want to mention to you very quickly that parables were intended to illustrate and clarify truths. But if you will, for just a moment, uh, Bailey, pull up for me Matthew 13. But I want you to look at verse 11. Pull up verse 11 first. Parables are intended to make spiritual truths clearer. But that's not always what happened, was it? In fact, the Bible tells me that while parables illustrated spiritual truths, the people who refused to listen to them would not walk away from a parable with greater understanding, but they would walk away with greater confusion because they refused to listen and to see what Jesus was saying. Let me encourage you this morning. In just a moment, we're going to begin looking at Matthew 13 and verse 1. As you look at the parables of Jesus, you need to come to the parables with eyes and ears that are wide open. Because if we come to the parables with shut eyes and closed ears, we'll walk away more confused than when we first arrived at them. Jesus says this, the Ma Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 11. And he answered them to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. We're going to go down through verse 15, Bailey. So verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But for the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables. Listen, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Now let me ask you, why do they not see? Why do they not hear? Why do they not understand? Verse 14, he answers. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah has been fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Why do they hear and not understand and see and not perceive? And why is that passage applied? Verse 15 answers. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears... They can barely hear. And their eyes, they have closed. Lest they should see with their eyes. And hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn. And I would heal them. The Bible tells me that the people who came to the parables either came to it with open eyes, open ears, and open hearts. Or they came to the parables with closed eyes, closed ears, and dulled hearts. And if you come to the teachings of Jesus with closed eyes, closed ears, and dull hearts. Now how do I close my eyes, close my ears, and dull my heart? I come to the Bible with a preconceived notion. 
This is what I believe the Bible is going to say, so I'm going to make what I already think. I'm going to make the Bible fit into me instead of making myself fit into the Bible. That's how I come to the parables with closed eyes, closed ears, and a dull heart. Or, what does this really have to teach me? You know, I've really kind of got life figured out. I don't really need to learn anything new. I've had a couple of years of practice at this. I don't need to know anything from these parables. Closed eyes, closed ears, dull hearts. That's what a parable is. It's a story that is thrown beside a spiritual truth. And our job is to compare the two to see what Jesus wants us to learn. This morning I have chosen for you what we would basically call... Uh, a softball parable. Matthew chapter 13, 13, beginning in verse 1. The reason I call it a softball parable is because you and I really don't have to put a lot of rubber to the road on this one because Jesus did the heavy lifting for us. He tells the parable in Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and then he explains the parable in Matthew 13, 18 through 23. And so this morning, we're going to look at these two sections of Scripture... And draw out what is the spiritual truth that Jesus is laying a story beside so that you and I can look at them, compare them, and say, What does God want me to know about being a kingdom citizen? Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1. We will begin this morning by looking at the facts of the parable. Matthew 13 verse 1. The text says this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Now, you may ask, what do you mean that same day? Well, Jesus had what we assume been teaching in the house of Simon Peter, who would be one of his apostles, later on would be the first preacher of the first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2. It is at the end of Matthew chapter 12 that Jesus' mother and brothers come to him and try to convince him to stop what he's doing because he's acting like a madman. Some texts talk about how he hasn't eaten all day and yet he's still helping and teaching people. Some texts seem to indicate that Jesus' mother and brothers came to him because they knew that what he was doing, working miracles, healing on the Sabbath, telling people they could do things on the Sabbath that the Pharisees didn't agree with, calling himself the Son of God, equating himself with God, that what he was doing was going to get him killed. And they said, you're going to get yourself killed. You are a madman. And it was on that day that Jesus goes down to the Sea of Galilee And in verse 1 of Matthew chapter 13, it says, He sat down beside the sea. If you were in the adult class this morning, you'll recognize that this is similar to what happened in Luke chapter 5. Because in verse 2, it said that great, great crowds gathered about him. So he got into the boat, and he sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. Verse 3. And he told them many things in parables. Remember our parable. A story thrown down next to a spiritual truth, and we're going to compare them, okay? Here's the facts. Here's the story. Jesus said in verse 3, A sower went out to sow. Now, if you think about what you're going to be doing, eh, coming about maybe a month and a half, two months, when you go out to sow your garden, 
you'll probably go to maybe the greenhouse at the high school, or you'll go to Messer, you'll go to Thurman's or Home Depot or somewhere, and you'll pick up these flats of plants that have already been planted. Or if you're a real gardener, maybe you'll buy real seeds. I don't know. But you'll take those seeds, and you'll go out into your garden, and you will, one by one, I, I, I should have brought it this morning. I almost did. I've got this little tool I use to plant seeds that keeps me from having to bend over and plant them. But uh, you'll, one by one, plant seeds in a row. Right, So if you're doing corn, you're going to set you about four or five rows, and you're going to plant those four and five rows, and you're going to plant them a certain distance apart, and you're going to put that seed down in the ground, and you're going to wait for it to come up. And it can be meticulous work. Maybe you're going to plant okra, and you get your little bike-looking planter tool, and you push it down through the garden with your okra seed in it, and it lays out your row. That's not what Matthew 13 and verse 3 is communicating about a sower. In this time... These people would plant their gardens so that they could sell the fruit of the garden, the vegetables, the wheat, the things they would gather from it. They could sell it in the market to make a living. And a man who would sow in a garden, he wouldn't have his little, you know, bicycle planting seed, or he wouldn't have his little PVC pipe with an oil filter in the top dropping his seeds in the garden. He would have a large bag that would sit off to his side. If any of you have ever sown grass seed, you're going to understand what I'm talking about. He's going to have a bag, and he's going to get a handful, and as you would grass seed, he would broadcast that seed across the ground. Now, the purpose for that is to get even coverage across the field in which he's planting. So when Jesus says in Matthew 13 and verse 3, a sower went out to sow, everybody that listens to this is going to understand what he's talking about. Here's the thing. You can be really talented at sowing something like grass seed, but you cannot be so talented as to know where every single seed is going to land. Because some seed may hit the ground and bounce this way. Some of it may hit the ground and stay where it's at. Some of it you may let go a little bit late. and It might not go as far as you want or it may go beyond where you want. It's not the most precise way of sowing seed. But it is efficient because you can cover a great area. And so a sower went out to sow. And this is what Jesus says about the seed that he threw out on the ground. And what does he say? We have the place, which is the sower. We have got, uh, we've got the person, which is the sower. Now we've got the placement of the seed. And this is what Jesus says in verse 4. As he sowed, some seed fell on the path. Now, you probably have paths around your garden. Maybe you've got some paths through your garden where you walk and you pick your tomatoes or check on your corn. Maybe you've got raised bed gardens and you've got some paths around your raised beds. There were paths in this area on this field. And as he broadcast the seeds, some of it, very understandably, fell on the path. The hardened soil that men and horses and animals would have traveled on. Not a place you intend for anything to grow because you're traveling on it. Some seed fell on the path. And the birds came and devoured them. That is the seeds. Verse 5. Other seeds fell on the rocky ground, he says. Where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, 
they withered away. Now, you and I may be picturing a garden that has a lot of little field stones in it, maybe what you've seen in gardens before. Probably what Jesus is talking about is some kind of limestone slab that's hidden beneath the surface, where you've got maybe 10 inches of good soil, but down below that good soil is a large slab where those roots are not going to be able to penetrate and go through. It's going to be a large slab they can't go around, and so because those roots can't go any further, that plant's not going to be strong. Place number three, verse seven. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Verse eight. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Verse nine. He who has ears, let him hear. You and I must be careful not to come to the parables and say, oh yes, Jesus and the sower. The soils. I've heard that a million times. I know that parable like the back of my hand. Wait. Because you might be right in the center of this parable. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 18. A spiritual truth next to a story. We've looked at the facts. Here's the story. A man goes out and he sows his seed and his seed falls on four different soils. Different things happen when different seed falls on different soils. What does that mean? Verse 18. Hear then the parable of the sower. Verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, pause. If you look at the comparable parable to this in Luke chapter 8, Luke includes for us the doctrine, the idea, the detail that when Jesus speaks of seed, seed in the parable is the word of God, right? The seed that the sower had in his hand was God's divine word. Now, that's no shock, is it? Because later in the Bible, like in James chapter 1, the Bible says in verse 19 that God's word is like a seed. Listen to James in James 1 verse 19. Know this, my brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of God does not produce the righteous the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness, rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. James says God's word can be planted within us, and that that planting has the ability to save my soul. It's not just James that teaches us that. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, Peter says this. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and the abiding word of God. James chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, the seed that the sower throws was the word of God. So what does the parable mean? He says, listen, the sower threw the seed... And in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 19, he says, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, I want you to underline, if you do that in your Bible, or you highlight, or you whatever, in this parable, verse 19, the phrase, Hears the word. In the parable of the sower, the hinging point on somebody's understanding which soil they are 
depends on whether or not they have heard the word. That is the principle of the whole parable. The seed is cast, and when it lands on the soil, it lands on a heart, which means they have heard the word. Have you heard the word of God? What that means is that you've got to come to the parable with ears that are open. Ears that are open, eyes that are attentive, and a heart that has not grown dull. Because Jesus says, if you have heard the word of the kingdom, but you do not understand it. You study out those two phrases in the original language. The idea of hearing something is that I have actively received it. I'm listening and I'm saying, okay, this is what he's saying. But the word understand means to carry along. That's what that original word means. So I can choose when I hear the word to pick it up and carry it along with me or leave it where it was and walk away. What does Jesus say? If you have heard the word of God, that is, you've listened to it attentively, you've said, I hear what he's saying, no thank you, and you walk away, what is it? He said, you've heard the word, but you do not understand it. You don't pick it up and carry it with you. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That seed, because you have not picked it up and carried it with you, is left for someone else to take how they wish. That, he says in verse 19, is the seed that is sown on the path. The path is a place that is hard, it is beaten, and it is in the service to everyone except the path itself. Some of us in our hearts have become hard, we have become beaten by the world, and we have lived in service to everyone else except ourselves. And when the word of God hits that heart, it is seared by sin, it is hardened by deceit, and that heart will not take the word because it won't pick it up. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 2 says that there would be some later after Paul's writing who would leave the faith and they would, because of liars, be seared in their conscience. The King James says, seared like a hot iron. They couldn't feel the effects of sin because they had been around it so much. It was commonplace. Maybe some of us this morning, our hearts have been hardened. They have been beaten and they have been in service to every single thing the world tells us to do. And when the word of God hits it, it doesn't get picked up. Verse 20. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 20, Jesus goes on to describe the next soil. As for what is sown on the rocky ground. Now, it would be neat for you to note here in this parable that in both sides of this parable, the facts and the focus... Matthew 13, 1 through 9, Matthew 13, 18 through 23, that the most explained soil is the rocky soil. That is the soil that we have the most detail about, maybe because that was the opinion or the processing of the people around Jesus at that day. So he wanted to explain it the most. He said, as for what was sown on the rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word. They have listened intently to what Jesus has said. And, verse 20, they immediately receive it with joy. They have picked it up. And they look at it and they say, what a wonderful thing. 
Joy. Look at the word of God. Look what it says about me. How I can be saved. How I can be redeemed. How I can be ransomed. How God paid my price. Look at what it says. They receive it with joy. Verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises... Notice, on account of the word, immediately he falls away. There is a surface accepting of the truth of God's word. But the roots of God's word, because outwardly this person is receptive to the gospel, but deep within their heart, they're not like the path. Their path, a path is a path. You can see the path. You know that it's a path. But a rocky soil is one that has a deep limestone bed of rock underneath it. So that grows down a little bit through what we would call the outward hypocrisy of life, and it finally hits the realness of who they are. They outwardly receive it with joy, and they say, you know what, this looks good, and outwardly their actions are changing a little bit, but at home and when they're around people of the world, there has been very little change in their life. And so when persecution finally arises, what's the first thing gets chopped off the block? The fake Christian life I've been living anyways. Now, there's a lot of opinions about the rocky soil, but I'm convicted that that's what that is. He's talking about those who would outwardly, in hypocrisy, say, I am a Christian. And then when it gets real, they say, I don't know about this. That's a rocky soil. Maybe it's the case that some of us have a deep, embedded limestone rock. That the word of God is growing into, but may hit that limestone rock. And we must understand this morning, the only hammer that will break that rock in half is our own choice to receive God's word and hold on to it. Soil number three, verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word... They have listened intently to what it says, but the cares of, of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The word may have begun to grow very well among the thorns. Many people have compared this to a, uh, a man who has taken and he's plowed up his field and he's sown out his seed. But there were these seeds of the thorns that were still in the ground. And so the soil looked beautiful. And it looked like it was going to grow great. But as the fruit began to grow, so did the thorns. And the thorns overpowered the fruit. And Jesus says, the one who is like the seed, the word of God has been thrown on their heart. But yet there's thorns in there. They have a thought and a mind to the world. So in their mind they say, you know, I, I may want to obey, I may want to do what God says, and I think I'm going to try and do this thing. But then the world comes in and they give their ear to the world. It's like a person who takes up the suitcase of God's word, they've heard it and picked it up, and then the person who takes the suitcase of the world, and they're beginning to walk with both suitcases in hand, eventually one of them is going to get so heavy it requires all their attention. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and mammon. For either you will love one and hate the other, you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You and I can't live two lives at one time. 
one will eventually take over. In the first case of the rocky soil, that person put the front on. In the case of the thorny soil, that person was trying, but they allowed the influence of the world to overpower their dedication to God. The thorns. Verse 23. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundred in another 60, and in another 30. My question to you this morning is very simple. What kind of heart do you have? The Bible says that the heart of the Bible is not the heart of the man, right? So this is not the Bible heart. This is the Bible heart. This is not the Bible heart. This is the Bible heart. My heart, according to God's word, is right here. It's not the muscle that pumps blood. It's the thing that thinks out of a man's heart Flow all things. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This is the Bible heart. My question is, what kind of heart do you have? Do you have a heart that when the word of God is sown on it, it has become beaten and hardened by the world? Do you have a heart that deep within it is a bedrock of worldliness that you would never give up? Do you have a heart that wants to do what God says, but you just are giving too much attention to the world? Or do you have a heart that is ready to receive God's word? Two lessons we learn from the parable of the sower. The first, God's word will never be stunted in growth. The Bible tells me in that last case that the fold of bearing fruit in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 23 was in some cases a hundredfold, some cases 60-fold, some cases 30-fold. That means what the farmer invested in his venture versus what he got was incomparable. A hundred, sixty, thirty. I need to understand that sometimes we look at the parable in the sower and we say, Three soils rejected God, one soil accepted God. But the three that rejected him don't even compare to the one that accepted because it produced a hundred, a sixty, or thirty-fold. God's word will never be stunted or overcome. It will always prevail. The second lesson I learned from the parable of the sower is this. I'm somewhere in verses 18 through 23. My heart is somewhere in these verses. Is my heart hardened to sin? Or hardened by sin, rather. Is my heart hypocritical? Is my heart dedicated to the world? Or is my heart ready to receive God? This morning you have an opportunity that if you're ready to receive God, Jesus has spoken a parable that should affect our heart. The word of God falls on the heart, and it is up to you what you do with it. Maybe you've heard intently what Jesus has said about the Word of God. Maybe you've listened and you've heard what the Bible says about what God wants you to be a Christian. And you have received it intently. I hope you would be like the good soil. Maybe as you've listened to these, you have seen yourself not in soil number four, but in soil number one, soil number two, or soil number three. In other words, you see something that needs to change. This morning is the time to do that. We're going to sing an invitation song. If you have any need at all, please come forward as we stand and sing.